It's week 25 of 2018. We're almost halfway through the year. And this week on the Technado, we're going to talk about some announcements from Microsoft, some announcements from Android. But uh, we've got a lot of breaches to talk about, unfortunately. So let's get to all of that on the Technado, starting right now. Hello and welcome to the Technado. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and as you can see, we found him finally after touring around the world, not not only around the world at Epcot, uh, but then around the actual world, Don Pizzette. Don, welcome back. You know, I've never toured around the world at Epcot, but I have drank around the world sure. at Epcot, which yeah. is uh, an achievement that I'm proud of. Uh, they should have a certification for that. <laughs> they should, <laughs> yeah. If you remember to pick it up when you're done, you'd probably forget. But uh, <laughs> but good trip. You actually uh, some of it was vacation, but you actually got to go over and see IT Pro TV's office over there in Brighton and and our practice labs vendor. Yeah, we did a meetup in London, which was a lot of fun. We had some some viewers and members that uh, that listened to, to Technado and uh, got to kind of hang out, and drink some beers, and talk. So that was that was a lot of fun. We we want to start doing that more anytime we go out to a, a city anywhere in the world. You know, do a do a yeah. meetup and have people come and, and say hi. Was it pronounced Technado? Technado. In, it's actually in spelled Technado and it's O-U oh. when you're in Europe, so it's a little bit different. Where's the o okay, anyway. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> well, uh, we we do uh, we, we did you know do some news while Don was gone, but we have some stories we've saved for him as well. So let's just uh, jump right into it. And the first one here is on uh, Linux.com. It's, uh, it's about Google's Fuchsia. They're adding an emulator for running Linux apps. So uh, does this mean running Linux apps on, on my Chromebook? So this article, it, it, or this headline, has been kind of moving around a couple of different sites, and it does create a bit of confusion because just a few weeks ago we reported on how Google said they're going to open up the Chromebooks so they can run Linux-based applications. This is different, right? So if you're not familiar with Google's Fuchsia OS, it is a proprietary operating system they've been designing and kind of keeping secret. It's like their, their um, oh, I don't know, their... Um, uh, Manhattan Project. <laughs> it's like their secret little OS. That's uh, ominous. And, and they've, they've been a bit guarded as to why they're even making it, right? Because it's not it's not Android. It's not Windows. It's not Chrome OS. It, it's, it's its own thing. It's not even Linux. It's not running the Linux kernel. It's its own proprietary kernel. So it's 100% total Google proprietary. And nobody knows exactly why they're doing that. But they did a technology preview where they showed where they're actually making it where it can run Linux applications, but it's very different than Chrome. With, with Chrome OS, it's got the Linux kernel under the hood, so it can run an application in regular user space, and that works. With Fuchsia, it's actually running in a virtual machine. So there's a virtual machine behind the scenes that's running the Linux application on top of this OS. And so to me, the, the news here is, is really why, why they're even further like muddying this this already confusing operating system that, uh, who knows, maybe maybe it's going to be a desktop OS one day, maybe it'll replace Chrome OS. We, we don't really know what their goal is with it, uh, but it's, it's interesting to see them starting to build in this Linux support, and it's a precursor to what we're going to see on uh, Chrome OS. And so Fuchsia's not running on anything I could go out and buy right now? No. It's, okay. It is open sourced, at least for now, and you could, in theory, install it on a system. I, I've done it, you know, just to mess around with it and mm -hmm. kind of see it, but because they don't have a real direction for this thing yet, it, it's hard to, to to use it beyond a web browser. So, like, Chrome OS is better in practically every way than Fuchsia. Uh, one day, we'll, we'll fight, figure out exactly what's going on. In the early days, they were saying this was supposed to be the hybrid in between Android and Chrome OS, and that we would just have Fuchsia, and it would eliminate these other platforms. Since then, Google hasn't, hasn't done that. And 
Android on the tablet has pretty much died. So now we we have this this practically permanent Chrome OS and Android. So I, I'm not exactly sure where Fuchsia is going to fit in in the long run. All right. So recapping there, you can now run Linux apps on a uh, operating system that no one runs. So uh, <laughs> congratulations. You can also run Linux apps uh, in, in Linux you know, uh, as well. So shockingly well too. They they yeah. uh, they actually do great. <laughs> it do, and doesn't require a VM or anything. So <laughs> something to check out. Uh, in other news here uh, from around the world uh, on on the verge, Android messages will let you. Uh, send text from your computer starting today. So Andrew uh, Messages uh, is letting you now do what uh, iOS users um, could do on their MacBooks for, for years. You know, it's funny because Android users have been able to do this for years, years as well. It's just Google didn't support it, right? So uh, there have been applications out there like PushBullet and Pulse that, uh, you know, for a couple of bucks you buy Pulse, and now whenever you send a text message on your phone, it shows up on your computer as well. And let me tell you, that's been really handy for me. Like if I'm here in my office and I get a text message, being able to use a full-size keyboard and type and communicate is way easier than using your phone. Uh, it's nice to see Google finally stepping in and saying, all right, here's this this service that everybody loves. We should probably offer that, you know? And and, and so now we're getting official support for that. That just rolled out. Um, I know the, the headline is today, but it rolled out on the 18th. So about three days ago, uh, that feature rolled out. And I've tried it, messed around with it a bit. It, it works as well as anything. Uh, I will say that, that some of the other systems like Pushbullet have more features, but you'll probably see Google try and equalize that. On the Apple side, you've had the iMessage integration for mm -hmm. a long, long time. Yeah. Um, they have a different name for it, don't they? Do you remember what it was called? Uh, not Unity, but something Continuity? or No, that was oh. Microsoft. That's some crazy marketing term yeah. for it, where when, you're, no one uses, yeah. when your <laughs> iPhone rings, then your iMessages rings as well, yeah. and you can answer wherever you want, and FaceTime is somewhere creeping over your shoulder. Um, so that, that's been there for a while, but it's been locked into Apple's ecosystem. With this, Google has done it with a web interface. So you can be on a Mac or a Windows machine or a Linux machine, and you log in to the, the uh, Android so in the browser. In the browser. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and so you can see your, your chat, your SMS, and you can communicate right there. So that's kind of nice, a little more flexible than iMessage, where with iMessage, if I'm on a Windows machine, I'm out of luck. There is no yeah. iMessage for Windows, uh, and there's no web interface for it. Although Apple started making steps there where now they, they actually do synchronize your text messages into iCloud, starting with uh, iOS 11.4. Right. Uh, so some people think that that's a sign that Apple might be integrating texting into the iCloud platform in the future. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. They, they haven't announced anything, but that, that may be a coming step. Yeah, and for those of you that haven't used um, this feature in the in the Apple environment before and, and are new to this, just consider when you do walk away from your computer at work to go get a coffee or not that I'm going to admit I text in the restroom, uh, and you think you're you know just going to have a nice little text conversation, you come back, it's, it's all right there on your computer. So lock your computer before you walk away. And I've uh, I've said some really fun text messages over the years with that one. You know, you walk up to an unlocked computer and you think, oh, I can change their wallpaper to My Little Pony. And then you see iMessage open. You're like, yeah. wait a minute. Now yeah. we can it have some It used to be, fun. oh, they've got Facebook open. I can have some fun here. Now it's, you've got, I've got all your text history. That's, it can be bad. So yeah, lock, just lock the computer. I like it when people leave themselves logged into social media. Cause like mm -hmm. if it's uh Facebook is, oh, I'll tell you one of my favorites. Um, uh, 
if it's uh, like a married person and they've walked away from their computer and they're in Facebook, you can change their their uh, relationship <laughs> status to it's complicated. That that's my absolute favorite because then their their husband or wife it's a says, self fulfilling prophecy. It's complicated. What, what does that mean? Yeah. And, and, and oh, it comes true. I didn't do that. Oh, sure you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure Facebook did this itself. And and nobody notices that right away, but it takes a little bit sure. and then. Yep. Plant the seeds. Good times. Good times. I, I like destroying relationships. It's kind of a hobby. Yeah. All right. Well, good, good to know. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, we've got an article over here in Ars Technica. Uh, Verizon and AT&T will stop selling your phone's location to data brokers. It's always good to hear when they stop doing something I didn't realize that they were they were doing. <laughs> um, so it's like, oh, geez, that, that was a thing? Well, I'm glad that's not a thing anymore. Well, I'm, I'm curious what's going to happen here because, um, you know, they – how this data gets used. A lot of people don't realize how your phone location data gets used, that Verizon, AT&T, all, all the cell phone providers sell your location data like crazy. They've been doing it for years. They normally do it after it's been anonymized, right? So what they're saying is not that Peter is right here in our office. They're saying that we have a cell phone that's at the IT Pro TV office. Or more importantly, we have a cell phone that's driving down the interstate going 70 miles an hour, Right. That's the type of information they can sell to to groups like Waze that does traffic reporting. And you know, how, how do you know there's heavy congestion on the interstate right now? Because the cell phone providers have location data for phones, and they know how fast they're moving or where they're going to, and that data gets used in a, in a pretty useful way. Well, some of us, you know, maybe maybe I run Waze and I opt in, and so now Waze gets my data, and they can report accurately on that. But how many users have opted in to use that? Not as many as people who have cell phones. So organizations like Waze and, and places like that will will buy this data. Well, because of GDPR, that's a big challenge for companies like AT&T now because technically they're reselling your information. And if a European national comes over here to the U.S. and buys a cell phone, it's still a European citizen's data that has to be protected. So AT&T, Verizon, they're just stopping it outright. Uh, we'll probably see T-Mobile do the same thing if they haven't already. T-Mobile is a European company, uh, Dutch Telecom. So um, you know, I, I expect you know, maybe maybe they haven't been doing it all along, but I imagine they'll stop if they haven't already. Uh, and you'll see the other carriers follow along. But that data, it's not always nefarious, right? Sometimes it is just traffic or, or whatever that this is getting me used for. But your data is being sold in an anonymized form on a regular basis. But but this uh, the impetus for this happening was because of of a leak of, of that data. Oh, there was an actual leak. Uh, well, yeah, the headline here says carriers forced to make change after a leak of real-time phone uh, location data. Um, Senator Wyden of uh, Oregon um, urged all character, uh, carriers to do this after uh, they uh, did an investigation and found, um, found that, that, that some of this information had been leaked. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I, so, I didn't see that part. Yeah. Uh, so th this is similar to, well... It's not similar to like what happened with Cambridge Analytica, where it wasn't a leak. Like they, they accessed this information. Um, so hmm, now, now I had to think like, what, what would an attacker do if they had all that location information? They really couldn't do anything, could they? So it's really just a breach of the privacy policy. Yeah. So it's kind of a CYA. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> move there. Yeah, so. but but it, but it makes you think. Uh, go back and think about the. Uh, it wasn't Verizon saying, you know what, we're making too much money here, and we don't need to do that. We're going to stand up for your privacy. It's oh, we got uh, caught <laughs> basically with <laughs> with the cookie jar opens, Oops. and uh, and yeah, we're going to stop doing that. Huh. 
Well, we'll have to follow up on this one because I'm curious to see where it goes. Uh, you know, if they stop selling this data, it's certainly going to affect things. And you're already seeing that with like Facebook where it's affecting them. Uh, so here it, it'll affect other applications that rely on this data. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see where that one goes. Yeah, and even just in the story, as I scroll down, there's uh, one update, then there's another update, then it says further update. Oh, so this, like this is a developing story for sure. So as the other, um, you know, providers, I'm sure, make make their announcements and things as well. So we'll keep an eye on that for sure and keep it's you updated next week. Part of our new heavily private a a or age that we're moving into yeah. right now, which is funny because you'd think with all the stuff going on that we're getting more private, but we're actually not really any more private than we were a year or two ago, that it's just so easy to get at people's information these days that... I think we've probably crossed that threshold already. We've gone too far yeah. where there's just no way to, to, to hide the well, information. The location data stuff, too, makes me think about a story we did a, uh, a few weeks back about MoviePass where their CEO oh, yeah. was basically gloating that, hey, look at all this this data we've captured on He on walked people. that back pretty quick. Yeah, and he did. <laughs> and it was all based on location because they wanted to say, hey, now we know where you go before you go to the movies. Now we know where you go after you go to the movies so we can say, hey, did you see this coupon from Chili's or this offer for uh, you know this restaurant before you go out to the movie? So, um, yeah, a lot of different ways they can use uh, that info, but it, it is a good question. I don't know how, as a, a bad actor, you would use location <laughs> data. The movie you're about to see is pretty bad, so consider going to TGI Fridays for two-for-ones before seeing that one. Yeah. yeah, you just saw this horror movie. Here's a church nearby. Yeah. <laughs> Repent. Uh, all right, well, let's uh, move over uh, another story from The Verge here. Uh, Microsoft says it's no longer planning VR support on Xbox. So, um, yeah, I guess th this is something they'd showed off um, maybe as kind of a concept a while back. Or am I, am I just thinking HoloLens? HoloLens never had... Uh, Xbox integration. Oh, right. So, so no, uh, not yet. And, and HoloLens technically is not commercially available yet. The dev kit is, but not the finalized product. Uh, I thought this article was really interesting. We, we wouldn't normally report on gaming news, right? So Xbox, that's not what TechNado is about. Uh, but this one I thought was really interesting because two years ago, when we saw the launch of like the Oculus Rift and some of the other VR platforms, everyone was saying this was the this was it. This was the big push for VR. This is going to make it happen. And for people, people Peter and I's age, we've gone through this with 3D, where every 10 years there would be a big push for 3D, and then it would fail and go away, and then another surge three or 10 years later. Uh, it just kind of happens over and over and over again, never quite clicks. VR is kind of doing that, right? There was this big push, and Microsoft got right in there and said, hey, we're going to do it with with our PC platforms, and we're going to do it with Xbox, and they were leading with Xbox. Kind of gaming usually drives this stuff. Um, but there has been a very lukewarm uh, acceptance of VR, right? Uh, Peter, do you, do you own a VR headset? Uh, I have one of the cardboard um, ones that I, I used yeah. when the first came out because it, that's one of those, hey, you know, this costs five bucks. I, I, can, I can go check it out, see what it is, and, and, and play with a couple of apps that, that are available or watch some YouTube videos on it. But... I, I was not ready to invest, you know, hundreds of dollars into a, a big system. And those are those are pretty limited. The you know, if you do Google Cardboard, you've got limited functionality there. The yeah. real headsets, like the Oculus Rift, absolutely, they're hundreds of dollars. Um, uh, Facebook bought them for a billion dollars. That was the investment these companies were making, and there just hasn't been widespread acceptance. And what Microsoft found was that VR in general is just not working for them, and they're going all in with AR, augmented reality where instead of putting you entirely in a virtual world, they're putting you halfway in between your real world and a virtual world. And I don't, have you seen the HoloLens demos? I have, yeah. They are really, really impressive. Well, because you know? you're, you're, you're not looking at a, just a screen. You're looking through a screen. Right. Yeah. 
and you, here's your wall and you can put a giant TV on the wall or you can have the Minecraft world pop out of your table. And Microsoft is basically saying, look, that's the future. That's the way it's going. Now, they've been selling AR goggles or, or headsets on their sites for uh, at least a year now from, from several different vendors that are out there and they keep price cutting them. So when they came out, they were $600, $700. Now they're $150, $200 on Black Friday. You get them for 50 bucks or whatever. They're getting cheaper and cheaper. But Microsoft is basically saying, look, on the gaming systems, VR is not making it. On the desktop, it's absolutely not making it. And that AR is most likely the way that things are going to go. And I could totally see with augmented reality, like getting to a point where you don't need a monitor for your computer anymore. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't like to wear VR goggles because you can only see what's in in the, the screen. And even if you're watching a movie, like, I, I don't know if you've tried this, Peter, but if you're wearing your VR goggles and you want to take a sip of scotch, <laughs> yeah. like just, I mean, picking up the glass, that, that's yeah. tough too because you can't see it. But with AR, you, you see what's around you and all the, the virtual stuff is kind of stuck on top of that. So uh, I, I think that's what we're going to see more of in the coming years. But for right now, all this stuff is still so new. Uh, it's just interesting to see them kind of back out of that. Yeah, and the non-gaming... Um use cases, I think, for the AR are, are so much uh, easier to see. I mean, it, Microsoft showed that that demo just uh, a few weeks back um, at, I can't remember which conference that was that they had that, but they showed a um, a meeting uh, where basically they were showing a, a floor plan for something and how they were able to kind of all um, uh, collaborate on something because you're wearing that kind of headset. So, um, yeah, that's something pretty cool. Did you, did you see the Oasis, the, uh, the movie? I did not, no. Good the stuff. Oasis. Oh, wait, you're talking about Ready or, Player One. Yeah, Ready oh, Player yes, One. Yes, yes, I did see that. Sorry. Yeah, that was yeah. good. Yeah. It's good stuff. But we're not there yet. Yeah, we, we don't have the haptic suits. And we, the... Yeah, and, and we don't have a bunch of RVs stacked on top of each other. Yeah. We'll have to work on that. Yeah. We, I, we, I played Jenga. I think we're taking <laughs> we're, we're taking steps there. We'll get there. The <laughs> RVs cross. are coming. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of sticking with the, the gaming-leading uh, tech side, uh, also sticking on the verge here. Uh, we have an article about the Asus uh, Asus announcing an unreasonably fast 802.11 AX gaming router, and I don't think that thing has enough uh, antennas on it. What are we looking at, eight? You can never have too many antennas, yeah. Peter. Everybody knows that. Uh, you know, 802.11 AX uh, is a new wireless standard. I've known about it. It's been, uh, it was ratified earlier this year. Uh, I really didn't anticipate seeing any 802.11X hardware or AX hardware until 2019. I, I didn't think it would happen this year. Uh, Asus disagrees and says, hey, it's time to roll this turkey out. Uh, and so they have created a, a gaming router for this, which looks, I mean, it looks phenomenal. It looks like Sauron's crown or something. You know, it should be in Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, you don't but, put that in a cabinet. That's yeah, that's a, like a, te- a centerpiece on your dining room table. It's a, it almost looks like an interrogation device or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, it looks really slick. Uh, 802.11ax, if you're not familiar with the standard, um, just if I had to sum it up in one sentence, um, I don't know, blazingly fast. Uh, it's got it's capable of carrying speeds up to 1.2 gigabit. So we've got gigabit Wi-Fi, and that's been something people have been chasing for a while. Even 802.11ac, which is has been the fastest up until now, uh, it, it couldn't get that high. Usually, you got 400 megabit. If you really pushed it, there were ways to get it to 800 megabit, but it didn't break that gigabit border. 802.11ax does. And when you're at that speed, when you're you're getting gigabit access, that's that's a, an important threshold because a lot of people are starting to get gigabit fiber to their house. And if you have gigabit fiber at your house, but then you have Wi-Fi that's only capable of 400 megabit, you're, you're losing out on bandwidth that you've yeah. paid for. 
And the 2.11ax helps you to to actually get your money's worth. Now you might have to be eight inches away from it to get <laughs> 1.2 gigabit uh, bandwidth on it, but it is capable of doing it. So it's cool to see that. Um, you know, they they announced the router. They announced it as capable. Uh, they say 1,148 megabits. So one 1.1 gigabit is what they're uh, they're copying to. Um, and but, but it says so, it has two five gigahertz bands that are each supposed to reach. Uh, 4,804 megabits per second, so almost five gigabits. Yeah, yeah, well, that's so... In, that's insane. With the antennas, you always have to remember, like, the antennas can only send or receive a single thing at a time. Mm. And so there's eight antennas, and they all get kind of divided up into groups, you know, with the strange numbers. But uh, I think what they're saying here is that, oh, it, at 2.4 gigahertz, they're at that 1.2 yeah. gigabit. But at five gigahertz, they're bonding to get all the way up to 4.8. Yeah, gotcha. so, uh, so that that's... That's a big chunk. That's ridiculous. That's a big yeah. chunk of bandwidth right there. And if, hey, if you're doing 4K video or 8K video and video game streaming and stuff, that that that's really, really slick stuff. They're able to move that. Um, I don't know. Did they announce a price on it? I don't think they announced oh, a price I yet. I don't think we want to know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they didn't announce a price, but uh, it is coming down the line. This one should be available for sale soon, and uh, I'm uh, I'm buying at least five of them, right? Uh, sure. Yeah, can I mesh them? So I know. I can... See, see, now I I have a mesh uh, already, so I I can't just go out and buy a single router like this. I've got this huge obstacle to adoption, so I, I won't buy one of these. But they did mention in here that it supports the Asus mesh, so if you already have Asus routers, it will tie into it. Uh, that's what they were highlighting. But then again, you're, you're like you were saying, you're limited by the the weakest link in your in your chain. So you've got that gigabit internet, you've got this, you know, in, in the yeah, main room. True. But then if, if it's coming down to a, a mesh. Yeah, whatever the slowest speed is is what what your max speed is going to be. So yeah, so uh, so for all you you out in TV land, if you're you know looking at the calendar and thinking, boy, Christmas is six months away. What do we get done? Uh, well, you know, here's some gift ideas. Yeah, apparently, several of those. <laughs> as many as I can get. Yeah. I need to create like some kind of radiation zone around my house. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, all right. Uh, next, we're gonna kind of switch gears here now to our security uh, content and and always the uplifting portion of the week where we talk about uh, what's been stolen. Uh, depressingly, yeah. so many events in the last week. Just it has not been a good week for security. Yeah. So let's let's start over in South Korea. Uh, this article on Business Insider: Hackers abscond with thirty-one million dollars worth of cryptocurrencies from massive South Korean cryptocurrency trading platform that both Don and I have struggled to fi- uh, try to figure out how to say the name of uh it is uh either it, it looks it should be bit thumb but bit it looks thumb. like it's either by thumb or bith or bit hum bit, who's bit, to say yeah no one knows <laughs> no one knows I, I assume in korean it's a lot easier to pronounce so uh yeah the, uh take an estimated 40 million from the funds uh, yeah there, there's that's a that's a lot of money. Yeah, and, out the door. and it was a mixture of tokens too. So it wasn't like just uh, Bitcoin. You know, a lot of the loans we've seen have just been Bitcoin. This one, you know, there, there's Ethereum. There's several of the other currencies like Monero. Uh, so this was more than one. And with these exchanges being attacked, these are the attacks that affect the value of currency, right? If you have a Bitcoin, it only has value if somebody will accept payment in Bitcoin. But if I can exchange a Bitcoin into U.S. dollars. Now it's got value even if somebody doesn't want to take my coin. The exchanges make that value there. So when an exchange gets attacked, it directly impacts the value of that currency. This one directly impacts the value of several currencies because it was a multi-coin attack. Um, But it shows 
that a lot of the exchanges, they just can't be trusted to store your currency. So if you've adopted uh, any kind of blockchain-based currency, you should be storing your coins in an offline wallet, in a wallet that you control, that you've encrypted, that you secure. And your coins should only be in an exchange when you're doing the conversion, when you're converting from one currency to another. That's the only time your coins should be in the exchange, and that will protect you from this type of a, a, an attack. But those exchanges, they have to store coins because they've got to be able to convert from one to another. And so they become an excellent target for attackers. And when they get hit, it's usually bad. And this one, 31 million in cryptocurrencies, although I did see the 40 million number batted around, so I'm not the, sure. The 40 million, we were saying earlier this month, uh, CoinRail, a smaller exchange, oh, um, had 40 million taken. So uh, that's the second South Korean. Uh, and I wonder, I wonder who could be targeting South Korean uh, coin. It, it could be anybody. Certainly not North Korea, because we're all friends now. Oh, North Korea, right? yeah. they, they would tell us. They'd be like, hey, we're buddies now. We'll tell you. Right there. But, yeah. yeah. That's, Obviously, Russia, right? I mean, uh, clearly, yeah. <laughs> I blame Kazakhstan. <laughs> yeah, always. When in doubt, you ever play Risk and it always comes down to Kazakhstan? Like yeah. whoever has that one. Ukraine is weak. <laughs> Ukraine is not weak. All right. Anyway. Yeah. Seinfeld reference for you fans <laughs> out there. Uh, all right. Uh, speaking of uh, things stolen, um, we we talk a lot about you know, oh, they got usernames and passwords, or they got location data. This is one that actually is kind of, they got important data. So 270,000 patient records breached in MedAssociates hack. This is on uh, Healthcare IT News. Uh, so the healthcare billing claims vendor discovered a hacker accessed an employee workstation on March 22nd. So it's actually, the physical security was compromised too. They actually got, uh, I don't, you still call that a hack when someone just sits down and <laughs> download something yeah. from the computer, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, hacking takes many different forms. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about shoulder surfing, where maybe you're using a computer and I'm just looking over your shoulder at your screen. Technically, that, that's a type of hack. I mean, you know, the yeah. word hack. That's really why is. I always get an aisle seat on planes. Yeah. Super yeah, fun. I mean, it certainly yeah. helps. You watch a couple movies at a time. And then you can watch Game of Thrones and not feel guilty. Yeah. And you, <laughs> you got a kid sitting right behind you. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, in this case, the, the interesting thing here is that they were just very quick to say, like, oh, this was an employee workstation, right, that, that got hit. If an attacker has valid credentials on your network and they have access to an employee workstation, then they can walk right through all of your data and not trip any alarms. And that's what happened here. 270,000 patient records breached. Now, they don't actually know that all this data was exfiltrated and used. This is more of a potential, right? So the attacker had access to 270,000 records, so they have to assume that all of them were accessed. And, and maybe they were. We'll probably find out more. Usually that's what happens, right? Yeah. A month later they come out and they say, well, actually it was 1.2 million records, not 270,000. So, uh, so we'll see. But it does highlight the importance of physical security. And hospitals, they have it tough, right? Because They've got those portable computers. They wheel into the rooms of the patients, and they leave them in the hallway, and the nurses are constantly running. And if, if there's a, um, what is it, code blue, right, then the nurses all have to run for that, and they leave those workstations there. They can't be expected to stand right by the workstation all the time. So securing those is, is really challenging, but it's an important part if you're going to protect patient medical records. It's a, it's a challenging job. Working in healthcare is probably one of the most difficult security environments right now because of of one, just the, the physical environment, that you have patients everywhere. Uh, and then two, because of how sensitive the data is. Like, I mean, it's it's hard. I, I do not envy people that work in healthcare security. Yeah, and it's interesting reading this article, too. It's not just, uh, 
you know, that, that someone has access to your medical history now and, and what they could do with that. But by the types of information they got, they actually have enough things where they could uh, commit uh, insurance fraud. Then they could go and, and file claims because they have um, your, your history, your, um, you know, insurance numbers and, and accounts and things like that. So, um, you know, it's, it's, this actually happened back in March 22nd. And um, so, you know, who knows what's happened since uh, since when it happened and, and uh, now being reported. And it's interesting. It also says uh, under HIPAA, organizations must report breaches within 60 days of discovery. And they're not sure yet why um, this one took so long to report. So hopefully we're not hearing more uh, about this in the future. And, and that's all. But, uh, yeah, it's scary. Well, speaking of... Um, Things stolen. Um, this is a uh, a fun story. Uh, a man is charged with making 1.3 million dollars in fraudulent returns to Walmart, and uh, it, this is interesting because uh, what he was actually doing was uh, buying electronics, taking them home, opening them up, and taking the guts out essentially, and then returning said electronics with no guts. So I, I'm curious. You know, 1.3 million dollars is the the value of the items as they sit on the shelf. I, right, I, I wonder right. what that actually equates to in terms of what he could sell those things for. And, and, and so geez, it said it was I like scoured, a thousand stores. Yeah. I scoured the internet trying to find all the details I could on this. It was yeah. so interesting to me because, first off, $1.3 in fraudulent returns. My first question was, how, how did it take so long to catch somebody, right? Because you, you hear about somebody where if they return three laptops at Best Buy— Best Buy shuts them off and won't let them return anything anymore. Like, that's it. They're, they're no longer able to. So this guy, $1.3 million, how'd you get to that point? So it turns out he did returns at over 1,000 different Walmarts. He, he traveled the country going Walmart to Walmart doing this. And he would buy a computer, and he would take not all the guts, but he would take parts out. Now, I could not find a single article that told me what the parts were. I have to guess graphics cards, Right. Because you can take a graphics card out of a computer, and they almost all have an onboard graphics card as well. Mm. So the computer will still function. So they and can turn it on, test it, and see, yeah. oh, yep, you're returning a work. Whoever's at the return desk might sure. not know to check that. That's what I would assume. I mean, it could be he was taking the SSDs out or RAM, take the RAM out, and then say, oh, the computer won't even turn on. And mm -hmm. it wouldn't if it doesn't have yeah. RAM. Um, but was he reselling the hardware after that? And they never say what he did with it. Like, did he sell it on eBay or, or whatever? But GPUs are in high demand right now because people are Bitcoin mining, Bitcoin, mining and things. Yeah. So I, that, that would be my guess, is that he was taking the GPUs out uh, and then returning the computers. But he did this at over 1,000 Walmarts before they finally caught him. I, I'm just shocked that there was no no system that managed to put this pattern together. Because you know, when you do a refund these days, they, they make you give them your driver's license. You have to sign the little form. And apparently all that's for nothing. Yeah. Uh, and if you do 1,000 refunds, then it kicks well, in. That's when it fl yeah, yeah. flips. The, the little <laughs> light goes on at Walmart HQ down and in, this might not in be Arkansas. Normal. Yeah. But, well. but yeah, it's, uh, I was kind of surprised to see it. I, I did wish that I was able to find more details on this. But, but yeah, that guy, uh, 1,000 different stores... Uh, 1.3 million over, over 18 months. I mean, that, that that's full time job. Eight, 18 months, a thousand stores. I mean, you assume he's he's maybe taking some weekends off there in between, but you know, uh, math wise, that that's a few stores a day. So you know, one of the articles I saw, not this one. Yeah, one of them uh, did a breakdown on it, and they said he was making like seventy thousand a week, basically. So you know, it's a, but again, that's if he's getting 1.3 oh, million yeah, in value. And there's no way he'd be getting not, full so. or even a fraction of that. Yeah. yeah so that that's what I'm curious about. Yeah. So. Hopefully we find out more about that Remember, story. kids, crime doesn't pay.
<laughs> well, not immediately. You've got to really spread yeah. it out. So. Crime pays about 10% value on eBay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, minus shipping. All right. Uh, <laughs> Don, I know nothing about this next story here on Security Week, so I'm counting on you. Uh, and I have a Mac here, so I'm really counting on you. Uh, Mac OS's Quick Look Cache may leak encrypted data. So am I, is, is data just leaking out of this MacBook as we speak? Absolutely. All right. Yeah, you're totally screwed. Um, so <laughs> Quick Look, Quick Look's a really cool feature inside of macOS. And, you know, had I had I thought about it, I would have whipped something up here for the show. Um, if you have a file, like a, a PDF or a PowerPoint or something like that, uh, let's say I have a PowerPoint presentation. I could open it in Microsoft PowerPoint. It would have to run and load the application. It takes a little while. But if you just want a quick look at what's inside of there, Apple has a number of filters loaded in the OS that gives you a preview, and it makes the icon show up as like something from the actual file. Uh, you know, actually, we just did a webinar. Let me uh, let me see. Do I still have that? I, I probably threw it away. Let me see if I still have a webinar here. I can throw up on the screen and uh, and show you what that looks like. Uh, so the the way Quick Look functions is it gives you a preview, and let me here. I'll, I'll zoom in. So here's this PowerPoint that I just dropped on my desktop. And see how the icon, it actually is the first slide of my presentation. And I can click these arrows and it'll move forward. There, there's the second slide of my presentation. And if I zoom in, like you can you can sort of see that's my little my, my image. It's me. It's so you're in the same shirt. So, so that's what Quick Look does, <laughs> right? Well, if I have this document, this PowerPoint slide, stored on an encrypted hard drive. So if I take a hard drive and I do File Vault on it or whatever and it's encrypted, Quick Look is basically building a little thumbnail cache around that file so it can represent it like this. And if you just like hit spacebar on it, it opens up and here it's showing me that PowerPoint presentation. And this is not in PowerPoint. This I am is in not in Microsoft PowerPoint. Yeah, it, it's in, uh, uh, it, it's well, it's in, in Quick Look. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it just up top here, it says that I'm in Finder because Quick Look is a part of the operating system. It doesn't show as a separate program. But this is what Quick Look does. The problem is it's got to cache those thumbnails somewhere. And it's caching the thumbnails on your operating system drive, not on the encrypted drive with the data. So if your removable media is encrypted, but your onboard disk is not, in theory, an attacker could get to your onboard disk, which is not encrypted, and then find those thumbnails and see the data that was normally stored on an encrypted drive. Now. There's two problems here, right? The first problem is that the thumbnails should be stored on the same disk as the media that, that's being read, right? So that way you maintain the same security level, the same folder permissions and so on. So Apple, Apple's made a mistake there. They need to be storing that. And I'm sure they'll push out a patch that takes care of just that. And they'll store that cache right near the files where it should be, right? The second problem, though, is in order to exploit this, the security researchers are assuming that the people out there care enough to encrypt their removable media, but not encrypt their actual operating system drive. All right. Well, Apple's File Vault, when you turn it on, it's really just clicking a check mark. And it's so easy that I don't know anybody who encrypts removable media but doesn't encrypt their own local disk. But macOS does not enable File Vault by default. Even in the latest macOS Mojave, uh, if you do a clean install, it does not enable File Vault by default. It does prompt you during the install. It says, would you like to do encryption? But if you tell it no, then it's perfectly happy with that. Uh, it's up to you to enable it. And I would think, and maybe this is my fault, right? Because sometimes I assume people 
are smarter than they are. But uh, I would assume that if you're smart enough to encrypt your removable media, that you would encrypt your own device as well. And if you've done that, then all of these thumbnails that are getting made are being made to your encrypted OS partition. And this is a non-issue. It's really not a big deal. But if you're encrypting your removable media and you're not encrypting your desktop, these thumbnails are getting cached. And that's a vulnerability. That's a weakness, and you may be leaking data out and, and not realize it. How long does that cache sit there? Then is it just until the the OS needs that space again to create to yeah. cache something else? Um, so in in the newer versions of Mac OS, there's actually not a limit. Uh, it'll store as much as you need until you run out of space. So for example, here we'll take my let's see. I, I didn't I didn't check this before the show, so I'm not <laughs> sure exactly what I'll see. But if you pull up, I'm going to pull up my Apple menu here. And uh, if I go to About This Mac, and inside About This Mac, it tells me about my Mac, and I can go to Storage, and it tells me about my storage. And see how it's calculating my hard drive? Yeah. So it's telling me that I'm using 213 gigs, and I've got 284 gigs available on my disk, and I've got this yellow here. That's my system. And then I got apps and so on, and somewhere in here, oh, it's not going to show it to me, darn it. I might need to pull this up in uh, Disk Utility. Uh, but sometimes what you'll see is a little block in here that's labeled as purgeable, right? Yeah, purgeable data. And what that means is it's things like cache that aren't really required, that if you run out of room, it can purge and wipe them out. Uh, and then that'll make room for other things. And I, I probably have that in here. It's just too small for me to see. Let me, let me go into Disk Utility and um, see if it'll show me in there. While you're uh, doing that, is, it, is this dark mode? Um, is, this, is this Mojave? Uh, I, I'm not running Mojave. I, I don't understand all the, the big hype around <laughs> I dark don't mode. Understand it either. You've been able to turn your bar dark up top since like El Capitan or whatever. <laughs> That's not a new thing, but everybody's like, oh, Mojave has dark yeah. mode. Uh, what they're talking about is like in the Finder. You know, sure. if, I, if I launch my Finder, this is still white even though I've turned my bar up here yeah. dark. So, nah, that, that's I'm not running Mojave yet. Um, well, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, I, I guess I don't have any purgeable space on mine. But anyhow, on yours, you might see it. So that, that's where that space comes from. And so with Quick Look, I mean, it could have gigs or even terabytes of, of thumbnail data stored there. If, you, if you're not out of space, then it, it stores it there, and it's, it's ready to rock. So, yeah, that's where that goes. But, yeah, so this one, it may not be an issue for you. If you're like me, right, my, my removable media is encrypted with FileVault, and my laptop is encrypted with FileVault, so I'm secured along the line, so this is a non-issue for me. I don't care. But for the average Joe user out there where you're not encrypting anything, it's also not an issue because you're not encrypting anyway, so what do you care? But for those people that fall in a particular use case, encrypted removable media, non-encrypted operating system disk, then you are, in theory, leaking data out via Quick Look. So one more question. In theory, let's say I have, I, I'm not encrypting either, and I have a, a USB key that I plug in, and I do those files. Then I take that key out, and I go put it in my, my safe. And so that's how I'm encrypting it. That cache, though, it's still, still there. exists locally. It's still so there, yes. Even though those files are, are safe because they're locked away. Right. So Yeah, if Apple was storing the, the Quick Look cache on the same media as the original file, this wouldn't be a problem. And when you remove that thumb drive, the Quick Look cache would go along with it. Yeah. So that that's the fix that I imagine they'll roll out because it's easy and, and it solves sure. the problem. But, uh, but who knows? Maybe there's a lot more complexity to it. Maybe that Quick Look database is stored in one single place and it has to be in one place. That would be a problem. Um, I just have to imagine sooner or later, Apple's got to put their foot down and say, you know what? we're just going to require encryption. Mm -hmm. like, they do it on the iPhone. You don't have a choice. Your yeah. iPhone is encrypted, uh, the whole thing. They, yeah. I, they should do that with macOS. I don't know what the argument would be against it. 
So uh, history, I, I don't know. Something, so. Maybe, maybe performance. You do take a little bit of a performance hit, mm-hmm. which people don't worry about on a phone so much, but they do worry about on a desktop. But I, I don't know. I, I, I just the only thing I can think of is that they can't encrypt the device for you ahead of time, because if they did it ahead of time, that would mean that they had access to the private key. Mm-hmm. in order to do the encryption in the first place. So you have to encrypt it yourself so that it's you generating the private key. But they could force you to turn it on yourself. I mean, that, that wouldn't be a hard thing for them to do. I, I'm not sure why they haven't done that. Hmm. Interesting. All right, well, let's uh, finally shift gears to a little bit of physical security here. We've got um, two stories about uh, about locks, physical locks. And what's funny is when when Don said, oh, I've got this, this story about a lock, and it's uh, it's it's the world's worst uh, smart padlock. I said, oh, I think I saw that too. And we compared stories. And we actually have two completely different, but but both uh, equally uh, insane <laughs> stories. So Don, I'll let you explain yours first here on Slashdot. All right. The the first one, uh, the article came from Slashdot, but the the research actually came from a cybersecurity company called Pentest Partners, and they were evaluating a smart lock. And with the smart lock, it immediately sent up some red flags to them because they saw it sending traffic using HTTP, not HTTPS, so it was communicating over the network in a non-secure way. So right off the bat, that's a big red flag. Uh, and they said it took them about like a whopping two minutes to, or they say within two seconds, uh, to to spot that problem and to be able to exploit the lock. If it's doing HTTP traffic, just unencrypted traffic, it's easy to to intercept, modify, retransmit, to man in the middle it. Like, I mean, you can just totally take over this smart lock. But as they started digging into it, things kept getting worse and worse. And what they found, this is, this is the worst part, was that if you went to the website for uh, Taplock is what it was called, T-A-P-P, Taplock. If you went to the Taplock website and you logged in with your account, your user ID was in the URL and the user ID was just a number. And if you incremented your number, if you just changed the URL and bumped it up a number, you would see the next customer and the next customer. When you logged in, you were effectively logged in for everyone. And in the web page, you could see the person's address and you could hit the unlock button to unlock the door. So not only could you unlock somebody's door, you knew exactly where that door was. <laughs> I mean, this is is really like the worst case scenario for a smart lock. Like the only thing they didn't have was a, a quick way to search and find your neighbor. Like you just yeah. grab people at random. But this is, is really, really bad. And it highlights the dangers of IoT, of Internet of Things, that if we assume these companies are building security into the devices, then we're being fools. We, we have to know that, especially with these smart locks, these are lock companies. Yeah. You know, A year ago, they were making deadbolts, where it's a great technology, it works great, you twist a knob and it's locked, you twist it and it's unlocked. And now we expect them to be computer security experts? That's just not realistic, right? So they're deploying these cloud technologies that are very, very weakly secured. So if you have a tap lock, you're screwed. I mean, there's really no, like, the, the company's just not capable of writing secure software and patching it and updating it. Like, you, you just need to replace that lock. Uh, I, don't, I don't know anybody that has a tap lock, so I'm not sure how widely spread these are. But I thought it was a good, um, I don't know, like a morality tale or something. Yeah. Like, here's a, a lesson for everybody. IoT, you just can't assume that it's secure because it rarely is. And there are some companies out there that are doing a great job that are really making sure their stuff is secured. But in this case, it, it absolutely wasn't. Well, it's funny because you you assume, you know, if you if you went to Walmart and you saw that on the shelf, you'd say, oh, this is a, a lock, it's secure. And if you don't know things about HTTP and HTTPS or, or to look for those, 
you know, you're not going to figure this out until one day your stuff is not where you left it and, uh, and it's not secure. But what I would say is just uh, take the guts out of the lock and then return the lock at Walmart for... Uh, yeah, yeah, for yeah. $1.3 million in profit. Yeah, I assume there's like some gold-plated <laughs> something in there. Um, well, uh, here's here's my ridiculous lock story, Don. If you can uh, bring this one up, this uh, this was tweeted about from the lock picking lawyer uh, on Twitter, and um, I guess he's a, a guy that tweets about locks, and so he was sent this lock um, to test uh, by a company. It's a fingerprint lock, um, so uh, you know, seems secure. Only you have your fingerprint should be uh, set to go. But he noticed this uh, Torx screw on the side, uh, went ahead and, and undid that, and the lock fell apart. Uh, so he said, well, um, uh, yeah, there, there's a problem with your lock. And the, the best part is if you if you go down to the next uh, the picture there from, oh, wait. Uh, if you he, click he, on it. Yeah, he's got it here on the side. Yeah, okay. The, the, the response from the company, which obviously English is not the first language here, but uh, uh, they said, literally, we designed this fingerprint lock with the purpose of againsting theft. Againsting theft. However, the lock is invincible to people who do not have a screwdriver. <laughs> So, I mean, honesty, truth, and advertising, I, I guess I appreciate that. But, yeah, anyone who, who doesn't have a screwdriver, is is, is that a luck? Yeah, yeah. That's a you good know, one. When, when you look at a padlock, uh, there should be no screws. There should be no access ports or whatever, except for where the key goes to unlock it. With a fingerprint lock, you shouldn't even need that. Uh, this one, yeah, I mean, it just shows... There are some companies that have been in the lock industry for a hundred <laughs> years and create very reliable, secure products. You can't just trust a, a company like a, a fly by night. Uh, did they ever say the name of this lock? Like I the, hope not. The, <laughs> yeah, they, uh, it just says the company. So yeah, you know, if you if you're on Amazon and you're price shopping, I want to get a smart lock, and here's this one for a dollar ninety nine, shipped straight from Taiwan or, yeah. or whatever. That that. Might be a great price bargain, but those haven't had the the research and development done behind them to make sure that they're secure, safe, and stable. Even the big names are having problems. You know, Amazon's had some issues with their key system, and uh, and some of the other vendors. Diebold has had some issues, and and they're they've got the the financial backing to to make their products better. Some of these other companies, they don't necessarily have that. So we got to keep an eye on it. We got to be protective in your workplace. And in your home, right? Because these devices are everywhere. Uh, I would say it's more dangerous at home than in the workplace, but uh, it's a it's a big threat either yeah. way you look at it. And it's great. The the the, the first uh, comment under this uh, tweet is saying, "Isn't this the the lock that broadcasts a MAC address over Bluetooth and plain text, allowing it to be hacked?" Oh, and the expert said, "No, no, that's the uh, uh, that's the top lock." So yeah, you've got oh god, uh, you're you're being bold on uh, scrolling I'm through blindly uh, scrolling uncensored through Twitter, Twitter uh, on a. On a live show here. Wow. Uh, well, anyway, yeah. So that's uh, that's a lot of fun. So thank you to the lock picking lawyer for that, and and thank you to all of you for joining us today uh, here on the Technado. Um, a lot of cool stories uh, we looked at there, and and hopefully a lot of these we'll see some updates on um, in coming weeks because uh, there's some that. Uh, these, I think, are definitely to-be-continued stories. Uh, well, I wanted to mention a couple of things. If you, um, Of course, if you liked what you saw here today or heard, if you're listening uh, on the audio-only version, please like and share it with your friends and rate us. Uh, we, we always appreciate that. And I uh, always want to give a shout-out to our sponsor, to IT Pro TV. Uh, we've got some great training content here at IT Pro TV, and you can check it out. Uh, using the coupon code PODCAST30. Get 30% off for the lifetime of your account. 
John, any any closing thoughts there? Uh, no, you know it's been a it's been a heavy security week. Hopefully next week won't be so secure, uh, you know, so security related. At least it gets kind of depressing. But uh, we are in the summer months, and there's a couple of big conferences that are going on. Mostly gaming conferences right now, but we're about to get to some more hardware shows. So hopefully there's some some new hardware tech coming out. Uh, but for those of you that are traveling for your summer break, uh, be sure to just be ever vigilant at all the various ways that credit cards can be skimmed and all those other things. Uh, you know, just think about keeping your data safe. Yeah, you were gone for two weeks. Uh, now you're back. I'll be gone next week, so we're going to have Daniel in here, right? Yep, yep. All right, well, uh, I will, uh, I'll see you in two weeks, but uh, they'll see you next week, and I hope when I come back I have a job. So. Or a credit card. Yeah, a job <laughs> and a credit card. All right, thanks, everyone.